thought of a scripture while I was standing over there that I believe the Lord wants me to bring out. And it's just a simple scripture. Romans tells us in 7.23, Paul said, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And as I was thinking of this message, and how to start it off, and how to bring it to pass, I have a question for you. As a Christian, what is your number one aim? Is it to save souls? To do good works for fellow man? To help the poor? These are all very important things. Or is it our ultimate aim in everything we do to glorify God? The scripture that I brought out, I'm kind of just thinking of myself. I see another law in me. Somehow, unintentionally, I seem to always want to make this wonderful gospel about me to be centered around my needs, what I need at that moment, what I expect and hope God will do, how I want to end my life, how I want to see my children grow. But I think we miss it. Because our ultimate goal in everything we do, whatever God calls you to go through, should be to glorify God. Of course, we always want to paint the rosy picture that everything is absolutely always wonderfully perfect and beautiful, and you'll gladly go through it for God. But we know that's not life. Had those thoughts rush to me today, Sunday morning church. Lots of visitors. Ruth's sister from out of town visiting. And then Tim falls. Everything's. And after it's all over and said and done, and Tim's being taken care of, and I'm home, I'm going, God, why would that happen? Because in my mind, I'm thinking about me. Thinking, God, we're only here a few hours a week. What's the odds? that would happen. But see, no matter what happens, good or bad, God should receive the glory, the ultimate glory. It's not about me. And this is the other thing that I see that kind of creeps its way back into our lives as American Christians. As soon as hard things or difficult things, we can get into moaning. <clears throat> But this gospel is about God. If God calls you, calls you to go through the deepest trial, it isn't about you. It's about Him being glorified through your trial and through your life. If God calls you to go to China and you are martyred in China, it is to glorify God. It is. It is to bring glory to God. Everything fits in His purpose and His plan. Bruce, will you take us? I did have a video clip set for you, but I think I'll just pause that. Not worry about that at the moment. Even myself, as I grow older, reflect on what I've been through and what I've been doing. The various things we've had to face, go through, situations, the blessings, the hurts, the weddings I've done, the funerals I've done, the deathbeds I've had to stand by. I kind of look at my next few years and start telling God how I want them to be. I mean, I envision golf courses and 
I don't know if they call them Bermuda shorts anymore, but whatever. Just a life of ease, um, taking it easy. I want things to be nicer for me. I want things to be more relaxed, more pleasing. And because it, it's what happens is this is a me gospel. I, I start to just infiltrate my thoughts and think, well, I deserve this. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and gone through a lot of things, got a lot of scars on my body, and shouldn't it be my time to just, and it might not be. I mean, I, I subscribed a long time ago to um, For Pastors Only that comes out of Times Square Church and Carter Conlon and the vast amount of pastor friends that he knows throughout the world do short little video clips to Pastors Only and they speak right to you. And um, there's like 2,200 and some odd pastors that have signed up for this and Back when I signed up, I was the 65th pastor out of all them to sign up. So I was pumped and excited. And one I got not too long ago said, to the older pastor. And I went, oh, I'm going to get nailed. And when I clicked it on, it was one of the first things he talked about. He said, get retirement out of your mind. Okay. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I'll be here forever, even when I can hardly make sense. But what he, what he was saying was, Stop thinking that way because those of you who are older in the way, those of you who have been doing this for quite a while, he said, there's coming a time we're entering in a season now that you're going to be more needed than ever. But see, our, our natural inclination and thinking is, is, I'm ready to pass this baton off. I'm ready to give it to someone else with strength to run because it becomes a, a me gospel. It's about us and not about Christ. What if God called me not to pass it off, but to help someone else run with it as much as their strength can carry them in God? Matthew twenty-two thirty-four tells us this. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus defines the law in its essence. Love the Lord with everything you have. Every strength, every talent, every gifting has nothing to do with age or how long you've been doing it. It's a God-centeredness that you should have in your heart. The very heart of biblical Christianity is God-centeredness. What's God? This is about God, not about you or situations you find yourself in. Or God puts you in the job and you're working side by side with the most cruel, wicked, filthiest person in the entire factory. It's not about you. It's about God, God-centeredness. Our minds need to start thinking and our hearts need to confirm to God, what are you wanting me to do in this situation? Not God, get me out of this situation. The very heart of biblical Christianity is God-centeredness. So listen, truly, if we are going to be biblical Christians, then God must be the center of everything we do. Everything we do. You just don't go and pick a wife because she looks cute. You say, God, is this the Eve you have for me, God? Is this the one, Lord God, is to come alongside of me? It's God-centeredness. You just don't get a certain age and say, well, it's time to go fishing. We're moving to Florida, buying a camper and 
Pick poses. I, I don't know what else. You, it, it's God-centeredness. It's like, God, what do you have for me to continue to do for you? It's God-centeredness. I don't know if we have that in our nation. I doubt it. Colossians 1.16, look what this says. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. That includes you. All things. Look at that ending. All things were created by him and for him. For him. There's a purpose that you're here and a reason why you're here. And that purpose is his purpose. It's for him. Wherever he wants to plant you, put you, how he wants to use you, how he wants to receive glory from your life. It's God-centeredness. All things were created by him and for him. Look, I'm going to show you something absolutely awestruck and fantastic. Are you watching me? Look at me. You watching? This is awesome. This is awesome. I'll tell you what. All things were created by God. The earth travels around the sun about eight times the speed of a bullet fired from a gun. The earth does. Look at me. I'm standing on a bullet. Can you do it? The earth travels around the sun eight times faster than a bullet. If I had a gun, and these days I could go like this, bang, boom, in the wall. Bam, bam, you'll see a hole in the wall. Eight times faster the earth goes around the sun, and I can stand that. Am I awesome? Now, you know who's awesome? The one who created that. How can that be? I can't even see the bullet, leave my gun, and hit that wall. How can I stand on that bullet, tell it to go eight times faster, not fall off, not be dizzy, not wonder what's everybody's rushing by, what's going on, and just live a life. Go plant a flower, go change your oil in your car, all things. This is about God. This is God-centered, this life that you and I are supposed to have, supposed to be living. God says, I have created all things, all powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. Before the sun started flying around, or the earth started flying around the sun, God was out before that. He is before all things. And listen, and by him, all things consist by God. By God. How does this thing creep back in and become about me? This word consist means to cause, to stand, to be. All this was created by God. <clears throat> and it goes on and says, and he is the head of the body. This is the body. He's the head. It's not about the body, it's about the head. Remove an arm and the body can still function. We see these unbelievable people with uh, no arms and can write with their feet better than I can write with my arms and hands. Remove the head and no body lives. Christ says, I'm the head. This is about me. Whatever he calls this body to go through, corporately as all of us or you as an individual, it's about him that he receives glory. No matter what you're called to go through, and it will never make sense to you. Don't ever think you'll go, oh, now I get it and I'll go through it. 
You'll never get it. It's by faith. It's by faith. So he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, listen, that in all things he might have preeminence. Not you, not your situation. Um, as horrible, it's not Tim. Tim doesn't have preeminence. God does. He has preeminence. Not me. If my wife is looking at me dying, her husband dying, or vice versa, I wouldn't even be wondering, God, how am I going to get on without her? God says, I have the preeminence in your life. If that's what I've chosen to do, you are to glorify me. That runs contrary to our fuzzy bones, the way we like to live, the way we just like to have everything wonderful and cozy and fuzzy and beautiful. God, you think God just, we, we kind of, as if God owes us some type of wonderful life. Listen to this. There are more insects in one square mile than they're about to come out. That's 80 degree weather. There's more insects in one square mile of rural, rural land than there are human beings on the entire earth. Insects. This is the God you serve. This is the fantastic things that God has done that glorify Him. Man, with all his wisdom and all his ability, he creates these airplanes, these Boeing 747s, 777s, these things that fly to the moon and fly back, and yet man looks at the bumblebee and he's totally confounded. He's in it. It's totally opposite of everything. Little tiny wings and big bumblebee. And yet, did you ever try to hit one? Did you? They have more ability. They're gone, and, it, and it's impossible. Aerodynamic, nothing. Yet God says, bumblebee, here's your little wings. You're going to confound man. You're going to be awesome. Be bumblebee. <laughs> and, he go, and he just does. Man. It's, I mean, it's just amazing. And this is what God says. Now listen, Colossians 1, 16, and the New American Standard translation says this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In everything in your life. First place in everything. He is first. He is preeminence. He is in our lives. Fox News. <clears throat> On the, at least on the internet, on the front page, had Christians being detained from going to church in China. It was right on their front page in Fox News. That could very well happen here. I mean, they would go and they just literally, in fact, this is what they did. They destroyed their church. This is where they were meeting, so they destroyed it. And they found out where the youth were meeting, and it was like five blocks away, and they destroyed it. Now, that could happen here where you actually see this building eventually sometime, maybe I'm here, I'm not here, actually become destroyed because it's illegal to do what we do now. And if it is, it is. To God be the glory. This is not about you. This is not about the loan we have on the building. This is not about our future plans. It's about God. How he chooses to use this group to bring him glory and praise. It's God-centered, not man-centered. And that new law, or I guess I call it the old law, that's always in me. Things become more about me, I think. I make them about me. <clears throat> you understand, it is a natural, sinful bent of man to have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ become self-centered or man-centered. We love that. 
It's about us. It's what got Adam and Eve tossed. And you'll be just like God. It was about them. I could be me. I could be just as smart, just as I could be. And off they went. We struggle with it here at New Hope. It's because it's in our nature for this thing to be about us. To be about us. Lots of times if we would hand out awards and rewards, that's because it's about us. Us. Like our restoration offering that you bless us with every year, we ought to just go through it and see who gave the most and call them out. Because we love things to be about us. Centered. Self-centered. When God says you have no reputation, no one should know what you gave. But you're like, what? Because we like to be recognized. And God said, this is all about me. This is God-centered. 1 Peter 4.11 says, if any man speak, listen to this. <clears throat> this is not just talking about me, or pastors, or teachers. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Okay? The oracles of God are that word of God. If you're going to speak on behalf of God, you speak the word of God. Don't speak what you think. If you're talking with somebody, you're having a conversation, you understand, you're having an eternal conversation with them. They can become eternally damned or eternally saved through your conversation. So when you speak, you speak like this. The Bible says. You don't speak, oh, this is what I think. No, you speak the Bible says. This is the oracle. This is what the Jews were supposed to be for God. He chose them to be the oracles of God, the mouthpiece of God. So God tells us here in 1 Peter, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified. <clears throat> I've told God for years, I don't want any peacocks up on this stage. Well, you all know peacocks, all right? But I fluff their little, and they look real pretty and show you how pretty they look. Get off the stage. Seriously, I'm, I'm serious. Look, that God in all things might be glorified. Might be glorified. If Adam and Jennifer rob God of the glory through restoration, it'll be a dud. You'll hear, that'll be it hitting the ground. Because it is to give God the glory and the praise. If it happens to continually to be successful or maybe even explode, Jennifer and Adam better be able to handle it. Because people will want to push them way up. When they must remember, hey, this is a God thing. This is God-centered. has nothing to do with us. All things might be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen, Peter said. In all things, all things that go on in your life. Now you go through some horrible things. I was not praising God and giving glory to God and thanking God that my wife was in this wretched pain from these shingles that I've never seen before. I was not going, thank you, God, that she's suffering so. No way. So I'm not talking about that. But even in those times, through pain and tears, we were going, no matter what happens, we're going to praise God. No matter what happens, we're going to live for God. This is what God calls us sometimes. Just You just got to go through. You walk through these very unbelievable, difficult times. You give God honor and glory through your life. This definition of he may be glorified means that God gets to splendor. God gets the brightness. God gets the first place, the preeminence, so that those are lost. When they look at you, 
say, how can you possibly, you turn your eyes to him and say, this is the only way. I got through this or I'm getting through this. God receives the glory. <clears throat> Most of the time, our theology usually is like this. What is best for ourselves? What is absolutely best for ourselves? Even when we pray. Romans 11.36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Is what it says. There's no yabbits in there. There's no me gospel in there. For of him and through him. The word of God says, And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If our, if our theology becomes God-centered. Or here, let me read this. In your theology, if it is man-centered, then sin is horrible because it hurts people and can even send them to hell. Now, on the other hand, salvation is wonderful because man can go to heaven and avoid hell. So with a man-centered theology, heaven is wonderful because there's no more human suffering. And hell is terrible because there's lots of pain in human suffering. That's man-centered gospel. If your theology is God-centered, then sin is horrible because sin is an offense to God. Period. Not heaven is wonderful because you can avoid sin. Hell is horrible. Terrible because of the pain. No, God-centeredness is sin is horrible because it's an offense to God. To God. Period. That's it. Zechariah 8.17 says this, And let none of your evil imaginations in your heart against his neighbor, and love no false oath for all things, for all these things. God says, I hate I hate this. But here's what we do. But you don't know what my neighbor has done to me that has no place in a God center. It's man center. Every law, Supreme Court, all of them can agree with you. I can agree with you. But that says, and let none of your evil, none of your imaginations, evil in your heart, against his neighbor and love no false oath, because God simply says, because I hate him. I hate that when that comes in you. I hate that when you become that. That's God-centered. So you suffer the wrong or the humiliation or whatever so that you can glorify God. The Bible tells us don't take a brother to court. It happens all the time. All the time. So instead of God receiving glory, he receives the shame, the humiliation. As Brother Ed takes Brother Joe to court, and Brother Joe Connor sues Ed and takes Ed and everyone knows. That's man-centered because I think he did me wrong, and I'm getting back. <clears throat> Psalms 51, 3 and 4 says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Listen, salvation is wonderful because it brings glory to God. Salvation is wonderful. The fact that we get to heaven and all that kind of stuff, that's like the cherry on the cake. But salvation is wonderful because it brings glory to what God has done, not what you escape 
but what he's done, what he's done. The main reason Jesus died was to bring glory to his Father. The Bible says if we have love one to another, we glorify the Father. Heaven is heaven because it is the place where God is all and all. That's what makes it heaven. Not because you don't have to pay bills anymore, you don't have to suffer anymore, you don't have cancer anymore. It's because God is all in all. You see where that man-centered stuff gets in there? It just pollutes our walk with God. Hell is hell because it is the place where God will reveal his perfect and righteous wrath. Perfect and righteous wrath. And in so doing, even then, God will be glorified. Oh, it's all about God. It's all about the Lord. Horrible trials, health, thing we have to go through. Scratch your head and why, God, you can just heal them like that. And it's all to glorify God. I don't know the reasons why. All I know is Tim's job is to go. No matter what, I love to go. No matter how many times I fall down. No matter how many times I have a seat. I'm going to glorify God. That's God's sin. Not, you know, if God doesn't heal me, I'm tired. I've played all these years. No, I'm just going to glorify God. I'm just going to give him praise and honor. No matter what. Philippians 2.13 says this. For it is God. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now please, God's not up there going, I think I will inflict this person. Like throwing darts. I think I'll inflict that person. It's not the way your God is. We live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. Sin causes horrible things to happen. And yet, even through those horrible things and trials and darkness of soul and night and weeping and crying, God be praised and God be glorified. Paul said in Corinthians then, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's God-centered. Not when you get the job you want, you get the promotion you deserve, you're making the money you long for, you give glory to God. No. When they pass you over, only because the boss, his neighbors, the person who doesn't deserve the job, gets it, you give glory to God. Praise and honor to God. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what's going to happen? The line's going to be so long, probably, and probably so slow. It's going to take eternity for us to get through the line, I think, alone, because God's going to say, you remember when this and that and this and that, and you cried and all complained, and it took me eight months to get you back into church and this and all that. This is why I did this. You're going to go, Oh, now I understand. Understand that God works on your behalf long after you're gone. Long after. God will bring back things, the memory of your children or neighbors or aunts, and how you handle the situation maybe years after you're gone. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, the Bible said. Here's some primary concerns. I'll give you three of them. Number one is to know him, to know him. To know the Lord. John tells us, and this is eternal life, 
that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This morning's message kind of got a little interrupted and, and, and stuff, but I, I think the point was still brought across because I believe we get ensnared again with things, even afterward delivered from them. We get wrapped up back in them. And then God comes to our rescue again. The very first thing you must do in order to stay free is to know, know him. Don't know my Jesus. You know him, your Jesus. Know him. A lot of things we do, especially as dads, and dads, you better be careful. You try to live your life through your 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old. That's the worst thing you can do. You're going to make them that ball player that you thought you should be. You might not even care that much about baseball. You've got to know Jesus yourself. Get to know him. The second thing you do then is to mirror him. Reflect him. John 14, 9 says, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then? Show us the Father. <clears throat> Every person working around you, near you, family member, association, anything, somehow the gas attendant, the Exxon person, you are to reflect Christ to them. You're giving them every opportunity to know God when they might never step a foot in you. You are to mirror Christ. And when is the perfect time? Is when everything is chaos and chaotic in your life. Yet you say no filthy words. You still glorify God. You mirror Christ. Third thing is to see Him glorified. I don't know if God will bring back those huge healing tent revival evangelists that probably none of you have seen really. I'm talking back in the 30s and 40s, 50s. Because somehow in the mix of these great healings and signs and moving of the Spirit of God, man started to become the center of it. Articles in the paper where a guy would stretch his tent 12 more inches so he can put in the paper the largest tent revival coming to New York City. That's man-centered. God pulled the rug on all that. He goes, that stuff stinks to me. And it really hasn't been anything wonderfully great like that since. Maybe a pocket here or there. We do. God does great miracles. We still do. Most of what's been public has been a joke. Man sent. God says, no flesh will glory in my presence. God sent. Live your life. We are all bent to make this gospel about us, about me. You don't know what I'm going through every day. My husband, I don't know if he'll ever get sick. <clears throat> God said, it's to glorify God, your life. No matter how it ends, how rough it is, how long those winding roads are, it is to glorify God. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be. My disciples. This is Christianity. It is. This is Christianity. And I'm not dismissing 
the horrible trials you go through, the terrible things we have to witness and see, that this is Christianity. This is where God will be glorified in this church, in your life. This is where people will take note that God calls you to walk through something that's unbearable, impossible for you to go through. Yet he calls you. You know that's what he does. He calls you to do things you cannot do. For what reason? So you can get your break and everybody knows who you are. You know, so that he can be glorified and everybody knows who he is. God sent you. Let's stand. <clears throat> I try to tell God all the time, God, or maybe I should say I try to remind him, not that he needs reminded, just me talking to God. God, you made me from dirt, just dirt. Sometimes when I get to moaning, complaining, I've created this me gospel. We showed you a clip long years ago called the me gospel. You know, while you you come to church and we'll have a group go out and change your oil in your car and air up the tires and wash your window and you're going, that's not how bad I might come. Because it's all about us. Tonight, the stressful day today, mentally draining was for me, physically draining. Just was. Show you all we're affected. Maybe tonight we can come to this altar and say, God, no matter what I have to see or go through, I'm counting on you to carry me through. I'm not going to come down here and say, God, I'll be better next time. I'll suck it up. I'll be your man. No, I'm just saying, God, no matter what I have to see, no matter what I have to go through, the most unexpected time, I always keep my eye on Tim. He didn't do that. Could have been anything I could have done, but I always try to keep my eye on. It's okay. It's okay with it. I didn't think of it today. But God knew. God knew. So there are umpteen billion things we don't even think of, but God knows your life beginning to the end. So our all call is just going to come down and say, God, no matter what I have to face, no matter what I have to see, may my life bring me here. No matter what I have to go through, no matter what the doctor may tell me, no matter what I have to do, may my life bring me glory. I'm not going to be a Peter and say, God, I'll never deny. No, I'm just going to say, God, please, may my life, that's all. I'd like to come to get a witness to that. Just come and speak your heart to God. Let him know.